Hey, what's going on, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. And I am here, as usual, not always, with my good friend, Martin. What's up, dude? Yo. Yo. We're going to do some five questions today, and as always, I just made you go get the questions. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was thinking, we don't get names for the questions anymore because we take the questions from the Reddit which you can get to over at collegeinvogeek.com slash community, by the way. And I was like, you know what? We need to put names to these questions. So for this episode, I have got the 29 most ridiculous celebrity baby names of all time up on my screen. Yeah, is that what we're going <laughs> to do? And what we're going to do is, we're, yeah, we're going to pick a ridiculous baby name. Okay. And that's going to be who asked each question. <laughs> all right. Okay. I think that's the fairest way to do this. This is the closest I'm going to get to getting questions from celebrity babies. So, well, all I, all hey, I've ever don't wanted. sell yourself short. That's all I've ever wanted. You could you could probably get celebrity babies to ask you some questions. Well, I'll work on that. Maybe thing. like after they're not babies anymore and they can speak English. No, it's not any good if they're not babies. If we start a call-in podcast for celebrity babies, like how to deal with your stupid parents, the podcast. What do you do when your parents are ultra rich, ultra famous, have a bunch of yes men around them and like to make stupid decisions and are Kanye? This is very niche. I think we could get at least six listeners. Yeah. You know? All right. I'm sure every celebrity baby out there already has their own iPhone. Like probably at one year old, that's when they get it. Yeah. Whereas normal kids probably get it at like six years old these days. Whippersnappers (laughs) with their phones. (laughs) When did you get your first phone, by like the way? Ninth grade, maybe. Maybe eighth grade. So what would that be? Like 14, 15? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. I think I got mine. I think I got my first one in ninth grade. My parents had given my brother and I a cell phone that we could only call them on. And we had to take it with us to share every time we left the house. And we were supposed to answer it every time they called. So, so you weren't allowed to do things separately then outside of the house because you had to share a phone? We were, yeah, well, I think there were, you know, if I was if I was going over to a friend's house or something, then it would be different. But if the two of us were going out to hang out and go to the skate park, go to the library or whatever, they would send the phone with us and we were supposed to stick together. I was the big brother, so I had to stick together and watch my little brother. But it was basically the brick of obligation. It was a terrible, horrible phone and we couldn't call our friends on it. So... I got my job at the grocery store and without telling my parents, I bought a track phone and basically kept it secret for about like 10 or 12 months or something like that. Nice. Nice. And had to pay for it. It was very, yeah, I had a burner. So I had my parent phone, I had my brick of obligation and I had my burner. And that was how life, how life was for a while. (laughs) Yeah. That's the hardcore childhood right there. I know. Right. And then my dad eventually saw my phone I didn't get in trouble. Actually, what he did is just he went and he was like, you know what? I think you should probably have a phone at this point. So he bought me something that looked kind of like a razor. It wasn't the razor, but it was like the LG version of the razor. It was really thin. And uh, when I got it, it was cool. And now looking back, it was just a phone. Yeah, that's that was a weird time in phones. Uh huh. They they could be very different from each other software wise. There was no no cohesion. That's true. It wasn't Android, Windows, and uh, iOS. Well, there are Windows phones? What? There are a few people in the audience who remind me every once in a while that there are Windows phones. Can they play Pokemon Go on those? That's a good question. That's, I, I actually that's have no probably idea, but you know, that's, that's going to shut Windows phones right down. <laughs> well, when I put in Windows Phone P, Pokemon Go is the first thing in like, Google. Is that available? So let's I've, see here. I have no idea. Microsoft plans to get Pokemon Go, Snapchat on Windows Phone. They don't even have Snapchat? Wow. See, people who have Windows Phone, this is why I can't make a video for you, because Windows Phone doesn't even have Snapchat. Ouch. Which means Windows Phone is dead. And I'm wow. sorry about that. Well, to be fair, I can't play Pokemon Go either. That is true, because you have a dinosaur phone. It's it's not even that much of a dinosaur. It's like one Android version behind. That is true, but it is four phone versions behind. That's fine. I bet it doesn't even have a well, 1080p listen, screen planned on obsolescence is not cool, okay? So I'm just going to keep my old phone. Yeah, it's we'll take it fine. up with the light bulb makers. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're going to get into these questions. And by the way, guys, if you want to have your questions featured on 5 Questions episode... Uh, the, and the next one, the best way to 
ask that question is to put it in our community over on Reddit. I think I already said the URL, but it's collegeinfogeek.com slash community because that is where we typically take questions from now. We do save questions from email, but I like to keep my email as tidy as possible because it's already a horrible mess and a hydra and cut yeah, off we'll, one we'll head too shall take its place. And We'll see a Reddit question yeah. much faster. Yes, and other people get the chance to answer it, which is... Yeah, you can. I was going to say doubly better, but it's actually infinitely better. There's so many people who yeah. can answer your question. You get a lot more perspectives there. Yes. And the I, I just like being in the Reddit. The Reddit's fun. But anyway, the first question. Oh, we got to find her baby name. All right. We're going to go with the first yeah, who's one. That, who's this is from this, this is from Northwest. All right. What a good name. Nice. That's good because <laughs> I got some Kanye in my head right now. <laughs> Kanye's so. baby asks, should students register for classes based on either the best instructors, the best time or the nearest buildings? To each other. That's a very insightful question. It is a good baby. question. Yeah. All well, right. okay. So if you're a baby and you can't walk, maybe the building proximity is an important factor. But I'm gonna go ahead and rule it out for almost everyone else. Yeah. At yeah, least probably like for anyone who has the ability to walk at a brisk pace. Brisk. So Iowa State is a huge campus. I don't even know how many acres it is, but it's very big. And I had a class that was on one side of the campus and I had a, another class 10 minutes after that class, which was on the other side. And I was able to get there on time. I had to walk pretty fast. Some days I would just bring my skateboard, but that was doable. So at least for me, I think that's the least important factor you should think about with selecting your classes because there's already so many constraints out there. I'm not going to worry about having a leisurely stroll to class. Yeah, like even in the winter, going mm-hmm. 10 minutes across campus, it's doable. It's not your favorite thing in the world, but it's not as important, I think, as the other two variables here. For anyone living north of, say, St. Louis, the pro tip that I learned for balancing on the ice, because, of course, the sidewalks just turn to ice in the winter. Uh, when you're running, because sometimes you get to run to class in the winter because you're bundled up with like eight layers of snow pants, right? You got to put your weight over the foot that's going to hit the ice. I think people slip because they stick their foot out and they keep the weight in the middle or on the back foot and then they slip. Is that the case? It's all about, I don't know, man. I'm going to get all self I don't know if this is. I'm walking around on ice. I don't even, I mean, I don't fall very often if at all, but this I is don't probably not science. Attention. But this is my personal experience. All right. When, I'm, when I have to run or walk briskly on ice, I'm trying to keep my center of gravity over the leg that's about to hit the ice. That way, it's all coming down directly on the ice downward. Yeah, and this guy, ice I mean, skates, doesn't that make so sense? he's an expert at ice. Yeah, so I'm actually an expert at this should be strapping fine. knives to my feet and going on ice. Yeah. <laughs> actually, related to ice skating, there's one thing that I am determined to never do, which apparently every ice skater does, and that is stepping onto the ice with their blade guards still on. It usually happens when a skater's... Oh, oh, I get Yeah, there's like these, these the plastic little, blade guards like, you put on yeah. your blades so you don't nick up your the metal blades when you're walking around on the concrete or the rubber mats. And uh, usually this happens when a skater is really nervous, they're really in a rush to get on to the ice at a competition or something, and then they'll get on with the blade guards still on. And it turns out it's kind of hard to be on ice when you're on these little plastic blade guards. Kind of better to have metal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that sounds... Painful. I am. What it really I am determined to never do that. There's. There's always these things that people say. It's only a matter of time till that happens to you. Like with bikers, not Harley bikers. Yeah, like, with like a cyclist. Yeah, you know, like or wearing cyclists, the much manlier version of biker. They say the bike snobs will say it's only a matter of time until someone opens a car door, uh, who's parked on the oh, side yeah, of the street I mean, and just, just clotheslines right you. So now I'm bound to determine never to get clotheslined by a car door. One, to prove them wrong, but two, because that would hurt. <laughs> hey, given an infinite lifespan, they're right. It that is, only that a is true. Of time given infinite monkeys. Until everything happens. Opening infinite car doors. Yeah. I mean, hey. It, bikes, bikers' rights. Bikers' rights, go vegan, share the road. Share the road. <laughs> so don't worry about buildings, I think. Uh, I'll go with my experience here. I would go for the best professor's in the classes that you care about most. So this is probably gonna be your major classes and also any kind of electives that you're really, really interested in or that uh, your good friend Tom tells you are very important to prioritize, such as speech communication. I think a public speaking class is one of the best classes you will ever take, regardless of your major. But there's always gonna be other kinds of classes that you just don't care about that much. And in those cases, I probably wouldn't worry too much about professor selection. And honestly, 
I don't think I ever worried about professor selection for every class. It was more a case by case basis where people would say, oh, this business law professor is really, really tough. They don't really help. And the other one is awesome. So I prioritize getting the awesome business law professor. And um, I think the best way you're going to learn those things is just by talking to other students. If you've got relationships with students who are already taking the classes that you've got coming up, then you can kind of keep one ear to the ground and start making a plan for who might be the best professor. Uh, there's also ratemyprofessors.com, which is a good resource, but how do I say this? Have you used that site, Martin? I did, in fact, use it quite a bit. So the thing about Rate My Professors is it's good, and I have gotten good advice off of it before, but the problem is it's open to any student to write a review. And you and I both know that the quality of students in any given class is going to vary quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Because there, there are always the comments that are like, this teacher's the worst who wouldn't help me. But, you know, some of those were just the person wasn't cooperating well or trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Or you don't really know what gave them a bad experience. Yeah. Specifically. Or I think the most common problem with Rate My Professor's Reviews is the students who says, oh, this, this teacher's so hard. They give the hardest exams ever. They're literally stuff they, they never go over in class. And I'll take the class and take the tests. And then the stuff in the tests was in the reading assignments or it was in the review material. So it becomes obvious that lazy people want teachers who are just going to spoon feed them everything. And if they don't get that, then all of a sudden that teacher is now too hard and unhelpful you yeah, know, and doesn't the, go over stuff in class. Actually, maybe they can. Can teachers respond to those comments and be like, yeah, actually, the stuff was totally in class. I don't think they can. Student. I really don't think they can. That way they can Which, get into a nice little comment flame wars between teachers and students. I think it sounds very professional. This is a problem. And I think teachers have an even bigger problem with student, uh, what are they called? Those student ratings at the end of the semester. Oh, yeah. You have to fill out a little survey. A lot yeah, of the, the surveys. Because a lot of times students will fill out the survey for the same dumb reasons. Now, I'm not saying every single professor who is quote unquote bad in the eyes of students is actually great and those students are all lazy it's just that's a portion of some of those reviews out there and some of the evaluations out there well it's it's kind of the same with like amazon if you go on mm -hmm. there and you find a product it's got four out of five stars but the first for some reason every time i look for ratings on anything it'll be decently rated and the first several ratings are always just the worst worst this thing broke this thing broke i didn't know how to use this and i just gotta think and a lot of it's with technology electronics and such and i'm just like Uh, most people liked it. This person probably just didn't know how to use it or something. I don't, I don't know, but you got to be able to filter those out because one negative voice shouldn't be enough to logically outweigh like 200 good ones, even though it'll (laughs) stick out in our heads so much better. Yeah. Well, we actually ran into something like this very, very similar thing recently with that DJI Osmo camera we bought. Yeah. Because... We were just having the worst time with this camera. The audio would not sync up with the video. It's a camera, if you have, if you don't know what this is, this is a, is a camera that is a, has a built-in gimbal, basically. And what a gimbal is, is a stabilizing arm, which basically lets you handhold the camera, but you get really, really smooth footage. And it's a really cool camera, but it doesn't have a screen of its own. It generates its own Wi-Fi network, and then you attach your phone to the camera with this little hook-in arm thing, and uh, your phone gets on the Wi-Fi network it generates, and then you see the, what the camera sees on your phone screen, and you can actually control the camera on your phone too. But we were having a huge problem with it because the video feed kept cutting out, and it would freeze, and basically Martin couldn't see what he was filming half the time we were making the last video. And I was like, this camera sucks in every way except for the footage that it produces. And the, the only reason I figured out what the problem was, I emailed their support. I couldn't figure out what the heck the problem was. They said, you know, update the firmware and it was already up to date. And then I looked at the little micro SD card that came with the camera because when I bought it, I bought a bigger micro SD card, 64 gig instead of the 16 they include. And I immediately stuck it in there. I never even used the one they included. So I just got a little bit of a hunch and I was like, let me just look at the micro SD card they included. And sure enough, it's a faster card. But Amazon recommends this slower 64-bit gigabyte card to be bundled with the camera. So I was using a, a card that's basically for like Android phones, just a little storage thing. 
and I was trying to get 4K video performance out oh, of it, basically. Yeah. So I stick the default card in there. Boom. All the issues gone. Audio syncs up perfectly. Yeah, and see, and you could have you could have just been one of those people that goes straight to one star. Mm-hmm. This is the worst thing ever, and everybody else is like, "But it works perfectly." I don't. Yeah, what's going on? So, and there are a lot of one star reviews on Amazon for that camera, and everyone's are saying the app doesn't work. You know, the audio cuts out; it doesn't sync up right with the videos. There it is. It's not the camera's fault. It's the fact that Amazon is recommending that you bundle this 64 gigabyte micro SD card with it. I'm sure many people are buying that bundle on Amazon's recommendation, which is what I did. And they don't know that you have to get a UHS one speed card. All they know is, hey, this is a 64 gigabyte card. That's a lot of storage space. Put it in the camera. And, and then it kind of works. You know, fair enough. It, the footage is good, right? Yeah. I mean, it didn't ruin our video. It saved everything correctly. It just, just really, kind of yeah. got weird. Yeah, it just made it really hard to film when we were making the video. Yeah. So I actually went and wrote a review on Amazon. I gave the camera four stars. I don't think it's perfect by any means, but once I put that better card in there, all those issues were gone. And for the most part, I'm pretty happy with it. So the audio is still terrible, but well, at least it syncs now. At least it's, it's just yeah, it's it just sounds bad. <laughs> so you really need to buy your own microphone. But but yeah, so, the moral of that story you can't always trust negative ratings. Yeah, definitely not. You can't there are singular experiences that you won't be able to recreate. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's there's also different qualities of bad, quote unquote, for professors, because there's going to be some professors who are are too easy and they don't challenge you enough. And if you've got a class that's just an elective or it's a requirement that you just need to get through, that might be fine. Well, you see, it's funny. Those people are probably going to have all the best ratings. You're not even going to know that that professor doesn't challenge you because everybody yeah. on Rate My Professor is going to be like, well, I got an A. This class was great. This guy was awesome. Yeah, well, you and I both went through a class at different times, but the same class where the professor probably spent a third of his time talking about his kids' football games. Whoa, that class was awesome. <laughs> and hey, but yeah. I liked that class, yeah. but when I objectively think about the quality of his instruction not really the best yeah but that was okay because i was at a point in my college career where i cared about working on college info geek getting through my degree i didn't really care about learning all the intricacies of that particular subject so that was fine for me the timing of the class was more important because i was trying to group all my classes together in the most concentrated chunk of time during the day so i would have more time later to do work on my own stuff And I guess that kind of leads into the third and, in my mind, potentially the most important factor, which is just time of the day. Yeah. For me, I always wanted my classes to be as early as possible. And for the most part, I was able to get my classes done, I think, usually by three o'clock every single day. I think there was one semester where I had to take a class that ended at five. And there were a couple semesters where I got everything in the morning. So I was done with classes by noon. And that was cool because I could go right from class ending at noon and go to my part time jobs, get my hours in. And then usually by four or five, I was done and I could work on homework or work on CIG stuff or whatever. Yeah. Now, timing was basically the most important thing for me as well, other than a few classes like Mm -hmm. so my language classes, I would always check rate my professor, try to see and I would have favorite teachers after the first semester or two. And then I would 100% guarantee I was in that class. And then just the rest of the time can go around there. So it was, for me, it was kind of professor first for certain classes and then time first. Because having a schedule where you only go to school on Tuesday and Thursday is pretty cool. So if we were to flow chartify this, I guess we would start with number one, pick the classes that you're most interested in. So for you, it was language classes. For anyone listening to this, it might be your major classes or something you just have a big interest in and prioritize professor selection there if there happens to be a really, really good professor. Now, yeah, you might not always know, but if, if there's someone who's telling you or yeah. or you get a recommendation or something like that, mm-hmm. or maybe you met a professor outside of their class, maybe they're the advisor for a club you're in or something like that. Definitely prioritize that. And then also prioritize avoiding professors who you know are bad. And I think the only way to really know that a professor is bad is if you trust somebody personally telling you that they were bad. So if you know somebody at your college and you know they're a good student, you know they're a hard worker, 
And if they tell you, yes, this professor really does not provide help or they just refuse to keep slides up on the projector long enough for me to take notes on them or something like that, then you can prioritize trying to avoid that professor. And then I would say from there, kind of go down to the step two, which is prioritize your schedule. And with that, you want to think about, number one, your biological prime time. Are you a morning person? Are you a late night person? How do you like to schedule your workday in terms of work coming before classes or after classes? All that kind of stuff. Also, think about things like lunch hours, breakfast hours, like how many times a day do you like to eat? I definitely made a couple of mistakes during college where I basically scheduled my lunch hour out. <laughs> you just, you just day. couldn't eat lunch? Yeah, I there was one semester where it was just no lunch hour, so I would bring granola bars or something. I don't think I would like that. That's that's harsh. Yeah, it wasn't the lunch best idea. Good. Well, it depends. See, when I did my internship, I would work from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. four days a week, and I could do lunch whenever I wanted, so I would try to push lunch as far into the day as I could. It was kind of like this marathon throughout the day. How long can I go until lunch? Because when I take lunch, I'm going to come back, and if there's less time remaining in the day, I'm going like, to feel good. Yes, there's only two hours. And then yeah, because when, you, when you're anticipating lunch, you can say, oh, I can wait another half an hour. I can wait another half an hour. So I would usually take lunch at 2 o'clock or later. That is so late. It is late, but... I mean, it was a cubicle job. It wasn't like I was stuck on a register or something. So if I wanted to, I could get up. I could, you know, take a 10 minute walk into the skywalk, and grab a snack if I wanted it. Yeah. So I wasn't starving, but yeah, it was fine. And uh, in school, that was fine, too. You know, I'd bring a granola bar and then later on, I would just run into the UDCC before it closed and grab lunch or I'd just wait for dinner. There was a semester where I ate twice a day instead of three times a day. And that's fine. The three meals a day thing is completely arbitrary. So. Yeah, and obviously you're alive. You're fine. I lived. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, pr uh, prioritize your schedule. Think very hard about your biological prime time, all those factors. And then unless you're living on a campus, actually, oh man, I didn't think about that. Okay. The other thing that I forgot to mention is whether or not you live on campus. Because if you don't live on campus... I would especially prioritize trying to batch your classes together as much as possible so you don't have to go home in between them. Or if you're the kind of person who works better on campus, it may actually be better to do the flip side of that and spread out your classes throughout the day. So that way you're forced to go to the library when you have, say, a two hour gap between classes and you get your work done there more efficiently than you do if you were stuck at home. Yeah. Or going back to the if you wanted to batch classes so you can get home earlier if you only have certain days where you want to eat lunch at home to save money, mm -hmm. then batching them together and then getting home early would be really nice. That is definitely true. And uh, if that doesn't work, you could always just bring lunch. There's probably somewhere on your campus where there's a microwave you can use. Yeah. I know at the Memorial Union in our campus, there are three microwaves in the lunchroom. So you could technically bring your own lunch and just heat it up there. Cool. So yeah, <laughs> this was like a long answer for one answer. Yeah. But I guess there's a lot of detail there. So, yeah, we're going to go into the next question. And we need a new baby name. All right. So thanks right. for that question, Northwest. Thanks, North. Hopefully your schedule is uh, improved. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Someday Northwest is going to listen to this podcast in preparation for college. <laughs> okay. They're going to be confused. <laughs> so they <this> say. <laughs> is that real? <laughs> Nicholas Cage actually named one is of his kids Cal-El. I... <laughs> is this real? I hope this is real. Kal-El Cage? Nick Cage named one of it. his kids Kal-El. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. That's amazing. So this comes from Kal-El Cage. That's the best thing I've oh, ever man. heard. I hope this question is how do I legally change my name without my dad knowing, but it's not. No, it's not. Actually, it's how do you guys manage to keep your room tidy and organized all the time? Don't look at my room before I answer this. Yeah, Martin, your room is your room is a mess. You is got it? some problems. You want to talk about that? It's an accident. And to be fair, it was clean. Sit down on my couch. All right. Tell me about all the bad times. Uh, <laughs> well, my dad didn't hug me enough, so my room is dirty. Okay. That's it. Pro tip, guys. Yep. Your dad Actually, needs to hug you enough. My, my room's dirty for a special reason, and it's because I took like 19 boxes out of storage that I want mm -hmm. to go through. I'm spring cleaning all of my 20 plus years of previous possessions. Yeah. That's so not, It's not my fault. To paint a mental picture for you guys, Martin's room is... A terrible, horrible mess right now. It's not my fault. But that is partly my fault. 
Wait, is because, it? Yes, it is. I planted the seed here. Oh, yeah. You made me work on that way sooner than I was I going did. to. Because we, so for any of you who don't know, both of us are moving to Denver with our girlfriends in, what month is it? Is it July? So uh, nine, nine months, 10 months? Something. Something like that? In the length of a baby. The being, length of a baby being born. Yes. The length of a celebrity baby being born and being named something stupid. Yes. So I thought, hey, the last time we moved, it was awful because we had to pack and we had to throw things away and we had to get the moving truck and it was all done in the space of three days and all of us were basically dead at the end of it. Yep. So what if before we left, we kind of created a spaced out plan for getting rid of things, for preparing, for making sure everything was done a little bit at a time. That way when we move, it's still going to be stressful. Moving's always stressful, but it wasn't as bad. And that started with, okay, Let's go into that storage room in the basement and start getting rid of stuff we don't need. And then your solution was to take everything out of the basement, shove it in your room, and go through it. Well, I was planning on doing it later, <laughs> yeah. like not not so early in the year, but I got inspired. And mm-hmm. it was like Inception. That idea wouldn't go away. So I just took every box, went up to my room, and emptied it. And I started sorting through everything. And it has been a, a month or two, maybe, since then. It's a lot of very difficult choices. I've got a lot of hard choices, just like uh, Hillary Clinton's book. Are you saying that I am your Leonardo DiCaprio to your Killian Murphy? Yeah, you incepted me. Nice. To do things that I wasn't going to do <laughs> quite yet. But normally my room would be clean. Yes. So that's cool. Actually, your room is usually much cleaner than mine, at least at a glance, I would say. That's because I, your I room is very minimal. Things. Yeah. So maybe we can start there. Maybe we can start with minimalism. Okay, so uh, minimalism's cool. Basically, own very few things, the stuff that you need or use the most. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily minimalist, but I like to take inspiration from minimalism and pare down a lot of what I own that I, I don't need a lot of trinkets or things like that. I just want some games, a place to sit, and a bookshelf, basically. Yeah, you're more of an essentialist. Yeah, to use the term from Greg McCowan's book. Yes, which is one of my favorite books. So I still need to read that. It's really, I should it's probably really cool. read it and we should probably do an episode on it. Probably. It's pretty nice. Because I've, I've only read blog posts on minimalism. And to me, at least in college, minimalism was, let's see if I can own 100 things and then travel the world and be a blogger while hanging out on a bus from going out of Chiang Mai or something. Not everybody is Tim Ferriss, it turns yeah. out. And I, I, I found out that I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like the internet globe trotting, no home, digital nomad lifestyle. So it sounds really stressful. I kind of took the opposite tack, and now I'm very much not a minimalist. But uh, I would say, I would say that I don't own a bunch of clutter. I just have a very vibrant room with a lot of things in it. Yeah. But if you look at it on a normal day, it usually still looks pretty organized. Yeah, it's not exactly a mess. It's just got more stuff. Mm-hmm. So how do you keep this room clean? Because I know that you sometimes you've got stuff, you get a lot of mail that you want to mess with just like me. But when I get mail, it goes onto my, I just throw it on my table and I'm like, I need to shred that or burn that or do something with it later. And then I don't do it yet. And mm. then it becomes a mess very quickly, at least my desk, which as soon as one tiny piece of thing is allowed to be a mess, it opens the door for every other mess to be born in a room because you're like, I'll just clean all those at the same time. And then you just keep putting it off. Yeah. Okay. So I have several solutions for you and anyone else dealing with messy rooms. Number one, and this is a general life tip. You need to pinpoint your weak areas and then you need to, you need to basically implement systems. So whenever something comes up like mail or a really good example for Anna, and I think for you is laundry, you either do it, or it goes in the system. So with mail, we have a system which is very simple. It's just a little mail organizer out on the kitchen counter with a few different sections. So my mail will go in one section, Anna's goes in another one, blah, blah, blah. That's very easy. So I never, ever toss mail into the desk because the desk isn't the systematized area for mail. The mail organizer is. And uh, then I will process it. Number two, or for laundry, uh, another example there. I do laundry probably once a week. And this is probably because I don't own enough socks to do laundry at a less frequent interval. But my rule for laundry is 
when I'm planning my day, if I know I need to do laundry, okay, I'm planning laundry to be done at a specific time. So that way when it's done, it will get done at a time where I guarantee do have time to fold it right away. Oh, so you do that earlier because, mm-hmm. okay. So I never will be like, hey, I'm going to go do laundry right before bed and it'll be done in the morning because I know once the morning comes, I've got skating practice to go to or something else. I'm not going to fold my laundry and I know my own mind. If I don't fold the laundry right away, it will sit clean, but unorganized and, and wrinkly in my hamper for probably a few days. Yeah. And for Anna, it's even worse. She'll get her laundry out of the laundry of the dryer and she'll put it on her floor and then she'll just wear it off the floor. The floor? Yeah, it'll usually just be on a big not pile like, on like the floor. Not like in a basket? Nope, she dumps it out of the basket. It's just on the floor and then she'll just grab it as she needs and wear it. All and right. then she literally takes the time to fold it. So, and I will do that too. I have done that, but that results in wrinkly clothes and then you can't use your hamper for dirty clothes because it's full of clean clothes. Yeah. So it just has to be done. So either do right away or systematize. And for me, for laundry, it's do right away. The most useful tactic I use to keep my room clean is something that my friend Zach Sexton from Asian Efficiency likes to call clear to neutral. And clear to neutral is basically the idea of clearing the workspace back to default once you're done with it. And the way I've implemented it is during my little nightly wind down routine, that's just one of my little habits on Habitica to do. It's one of my dailies. So clear to neutral for me means I have to close all my tabs out my computer because one of my big weaknesses, if I let it go unchecked, is leaving a zillion tabs up on my computer thinking, oh, I'll do all of those today and I won't. I have to clean up my desk and then I have to clean up my room. So everything goes where it goes, right? Um, I'm also somewhat of an essentialist I think I'm an essentialist except for a few categories because I don't buy a bunch of knickknacks. I don't buy a bunch of random clothes I don't need. I'm an essentialist in all areas except for art, books, and computer stuff, I would say. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I'm not seeing a lot of a lot else that's sitting around here, really. Yeah, most things here have a purpose. You're, you're all very the computer focused stuff. in the kind of things you want to collect and have sitting around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I try not to buy just random stuff. If, if I want to start a hobby, for instance... I will go do the hobby first before buying specialized gear for it. So I'm not going to, you know, say, oh, I really want to be a runner. So I'm going to go buy, you know, eight running vests and a weird reflector thing. And just I don't even know what kind of weird stuff runners buy. But yeah, no, I'm just going to get my shorts Vibrams on and run. Probably. Yeah. Well, I do have Vibrams, but they might be thrown away, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turns out Vibrams are very hard to make not stinky. So I don't really recommend those anymore. <laughs> All right. um, but just lots of computer gear, lots of art. But the art is, I would say, not to brag or anything, but I would say impeccably placed. It's all straight. And I used a ruler and a level to keep it all nice and straight. So it's all placed very deliberately on the walls. And then the books are on one bookshelf and two little floating bookshelves from Amazon. And I've actually pared down books so the bookshelf isn't overflowing. Though so, if I look at it right now, there are two new books that are not, they're they're horizontal, they're not vertical, and that's a problem. Oh, yeah. The but bookshelf is once again full. It sounds like the reason that your room is clean and you have so many things in here is because each of the things that you do have in here has a actual place. It has mm-hmm. an actual place that that thing goes because you can't, clear, oh, yeah. you can't clear to neutral if you've got new stuff that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, and there's, there's so there's one semi-pseudo exception to that. And that's the inbox. So not an email inbox. I literally have a little black box on my desk. It, I think they actually call it an inbox. And usually like office workers will put incoming papers they need to deal with in their inbox. So it's not just laying on their desk. Well, my inbox has a bunch of junk in it. It's got like College of Boogie stickers in it. There's a bunch of pens and random stuff. That stuff I haven't so processed like a, yet. It's like a junk drawer. It's kind of like a kind of. Yeah. I mean, you put the stickers that you were borrowing in there uh, and I put a little print that I haven't put up there. So that's kind of like the holding area for stuff I haven't quite decided on what to do with yet. But it's a box. So it's not just so strewn still, all over the place. It still looks clean. Yeah. And I've got this monitor shelf. So it's kind of half hidden under the monitor shelf. But everything else, everything has a place. Everything has a purpose. And I think when I move, I'm probably going to even. I'm going to get rid of this TV and entertainment system because that no longer has a purpose for me 
Uh, the only person who uses it is Anna now because the only reason I would play games in my room is if I have to, and that's only Overwatch. Yeah. Otherwise, I can play games Otherwise out in the living room. Otherwise, you want to play it out there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so I guess to, if you want to keep your room tidy and organized, your things need to have a place to go, and then you need to make it a habit of putting the things in the places that they go. Yeah. It's really that. And you, you really got to start from clean, I think. For that yeah, to you got to do a well. reset sometimes. Because otherwise, it's so much harder to be motivated to say, well, why should I put that away? There's already, there's three other things that don't belong that are just sitting out. So mm-hmm. unless you start from clean, I think it's going to be hard to find the motivation to keep it that way. Yeah. And so that brings me to a little bit less of an essential tip. I think clear to neutral is pretty essential and I really, I would really like everyone to do it. The next one, I would say there's kind of two different angles you can go on this. So what I'm going to suggest is that you set up some not daily, probably not even weekly, but recurring maintenance tasks. So maybe once every two months, there is a go through your drawers or dust the room. Maybe you should dust more than two every two months, but you know, you get the, you get the picture at a certain interval, you need to do things. And this isn't for room stuff, but in Asana, we have a recurring, do we have a maintenance project? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We have an entire maintenance project. So this is full of tasks that have recurring due dates. So I've got one every year. I have to update my uh, FAFSA article with the new year's rules. So the new years are in there at least. There's a create a monthly topic request thread in the Reddit. Every few months, Martin will go through and verify that our backups for the blog database are working, that we can actually restore from a backup so we're not backing up bad data. That's probably a pretty good thing to do if you're running a blog. Yeah, so these, so these all kind of little things, there. you would totally forget them mm-hmm. normally. You would forget to do them for way too long. But if you can externalize them into a system, you can ignore it. And then once a year, it's going to tell you to do that one thing. Yeah. And you'll be pretty well off. Now, the reason I'm a little bit hesitant to just come out in full force and recommend this is because for cleaning the room, I don't do this. For me, it's more a process of it's a Saturday morning and I suddenly realize, huh, the room needs tidying up and then I just do it. So you don't actually have like a weekly. No, I don't make sure it's fine. But you it's, have the, I you think have it's the same thing with the kitchen. every night. So it you, yeah. So you do that for the most part. And already. that's all surface level. I'm not dusting every night. I'm not vacuuming every night. You know, I'm not cleaning out the junk drawer every night. I just bought the new camera with a new lav mic. So there's some you know carrying cases and stuff in the in the drawers that probably weren't deliberately put there. I just needed a place to throw them, so yeah. I threw them in there. You know, a little mic foam thing that goes on top of that shotgun mic you're using. I don't know if it should go in there, but so I've been busy. a couple so new things that you haven't had mm-hmm. a chance to make a place for. Yeah, clear to neutral should take you five minutes at the most every night. You know, it shouldn't be a big deal. So that's why I'm going to say if you're the kind of person who just eventually gets fed up before it gets to the point where there's like sentient mold growing on the walls. Sure. Keep doing that. Yeah, because that's how I handle the kitchen. For example, uh, I will just I'm not the best at maintaining the kitchen. A while ago, I kind of implemented a every dish must be clean or in the dishwasher before we go to bed protocol. But with wiping down stoves and stuff, I'm not the best. So I'll usually just be sort of lazy, kind of, you know, just hit a a little bit above the bar. Yeah. And then there's a breaking point. Okay, I need to clean it. So and that works. It's fine. I don't feel well, some things just some things are going to be okay. Like if you don't dust your room every week. I don't mm-hmm. think much is going to happen in, unless you're allergic to dust mites or something. But yeah, you'll just have some dust. <laughs> but for the most part, it'll just be okay. That mm-hmm. part can be ignored. But leaving a bunch of stuff all over your floor so you can't walk, is not a, that's not as good to be ignoring. That has actual side effects. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say here is my room is clean because I have pride in my room. And I think this is important because when I was in high school, living on my parents' house, it didn't feel like mine so much. And maybe this is just me. I I bet you a lot of people who live with their parents feel like their room is their space. But for whatever reason, it didn't really feel that much like mine. So I never kept my room clean. You you felt like, well, this is just temporary. Yes. Why bother? But then when I moved to college, almost immediately, there was like this feeling of this is my space. Yes, I have a roommate, but I got myself here. I bought all this stuff. 
it's all mine. So I kept it really clean. And then when I got my own room, which happened when I got an apartment, it was even bigger. Yeah, because it, it ends up becoming kind of a representation of mm -hmm. you in a way. It's a way of expressing yourself. Yeah, And yes, that that's a very good point. Once I started expressing myself more with my room, I had more and more pride in it. So when we moved into the apartment, the first apartment we had off campus, you remember we had that dumb idea? Well, maybe not dumb. We had that weird idea for everyone to have their computers out in the living room. That was a brilliant idea, <laughs> actually. Was actually, it was, it was pretty cool because we were all just hanging out. Don't, don't put everything in there. Yeah, but just we were just playing games. It was good. It was fun. So was we all good. we all had our big desktop computers out in the living room, which meant that everyone's room was literally just for sleeping. And because of that, my room was basically just storage and I had no pride in it, didn't care. Eventually, I moved my desk into my room because I was starting a podcast. And I maybe for other reasons, I'm not exactly sure. I think I was tired of the loud TV and I think I was tired of Brandon watching Power Rangers every day. Why that would might you get tired of that? Astronoma is the best girl. Astronoma is best girl, but there's only so much I can take of the rest of that show. So fair enough. She she's can't not, save she's everything. Not in every season. She's That's not fair. Exactly. He, fair. he I mean he watched like Dino Rangers. He watched that show's deep. Space Rangers. I don't even know. <laughs> Power Rangers has the deepest lore. Brilliant writing. Yes. So I moved into my room. And then I started putting art in the walls and I started making videos. So with video, I got really, really deliberate about what was going to be on the walls. And I remember there was just a moment where I was just really proud of all the art. It looked really nice and, and composed to me. And it's funny because two years earlier, I would have been like, you're just thinking about stuff too much, man. You got to travel the world and have only a hundred things in one backpack. But now I like having cool books on the wall that I uh, mounted there know, with Velcro strips. That's a and, secret bonus tip. Start a YouTube channel where people see your room <laughs> and you you probably won't make a mess of it if they could look behind your head and be like, hey, why is there a Burger King sack on your shelf? That doesn't go there. <laughs> now I'm, I'm just going to nail Burger King sack to the wall. That's in weird. like one video. I was picturing food in it, so don't do that. <laughs> that would be really funny. Yeah. I, Except actually, for they yeah, told us not to use good. nails on the walls. So yeah. I'll tape it to the get wall. A, get a Maybe. command hook. <laughs> it's just a command hook with Burger King on yeah. it. Yeah. There's a different gross fast food on every every video. Backdrop. Yeah. That would be interesting. <laughs> All right. So we need to get full steam ahead here on the next question because I actually have to leave the house in about half an hour. So oh, well, our third that. question right. comes oh, well, from... Good thing it's not a big question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Sa Sam Worthington, the star of Avatar... The one with the blue people. The blue, blue avatar? The blue, okay. Yeah, the blue man group avatar. Blavatar. Blavatar, yes. Uh, he named his kid Rocket Zot. That's awesome. Because, I don't know, drugs? I don't know, that's awesome. But Rocket Zot. They're the best name. Celebrities name way better than normal people. That's true. Good names. All right, Rocket Zot. So Rocket Zot's question is a weird one because being a baby, he shouldn't be in college yet. But he wants to know, should you switch majors midway? So, and you know what? I just realized you put the question in the Reddit, but I didn't read if this person was saying midway through a semester or midway through the entire course. I think they mean through the entire course. Yeah, I mean through the entire course. Okay, I'm fairly okay. certain. Cool. Which is so, good because we have examples for that. Yes, this is actually a very good question. And this is where we run into the sunk cost fallacy. Uh-oh. So you like saying sunk cost a lot. Yeah. Why don't you explain what the sunk cost fallacy is? Uh, so the sunk cost, a sunk cost is a cost you can't recover. Mm -hmm. So if I if I buy, you know, I can't even think of a good example right now. If I go to college, here's an example. I'll just make it easy. <laughs> if I I went to college for business, I cannot recover the money I spent doing that. It is now a sunk cost. Mm -hmm. So the sunk cost fallacy is when you're making a decision about what you should do for something in your future and you feel guilty or attached to a previous expense. So if I wanted to be a professional dancer now, me using the sunk cost fallacy would be like, well, I, that would waste all of my going to college for business thing. Mm -hmm. It would be an entire waste. But it's a fallacy because no matter whether I choose to be a professional dancer or a businessman that money is still gone. I don't recover the expense. The mm. only thing that matters now is which one of those two options makes me happier in the future. The past can't be changed. Yeah. So this is very important for the decision uh, to switch a major 
but it is not a blanket endorsement to just go ahead and do it. Yeah. So yeah, there, you definitely you have, have to sunk consider costs. your future because right. you don't consider the sunk cost necessarily, but your future will be affected because mm-hmm. you still have loans and stuff and you've still got all sorts of stuff. So there are a number of different factors you need to consider. Number one, yes, sunk cost. You can't get the cost back. But number two, how much is it going to cost you to switch? Yeah, you've still got money. how many years is it going to set you back and how much extra debt is that going to put you in? So that's one. That's another factor. Another very closely related factor is what would you need to do to get into the career, the career field that you're hoping to switch to? And how actually passionate about the the new career field are you? So if you're already halfway through a design program and you're kind of like wishy-washy, but you're like, you know, I think I might like mechanical engineering a little bit better, but you're not sure. That's a much different question than I realize that I'm incredibly passionate about mechanical engineering. I've been in this solar car club where I've been building this solar powered race car in my off hours. And I just decided that I don't really like design. Okay. You've demonstrated through past effort and through experience that you're really interested in something else. So that might be worth the expense. So you got to think about what is your level of dedication to what you want to switch to? Is it just that you don't like what you're doing or do you actually have a real plan? What's the expense and this can take many different forms. So there's the actual monetary expense, but you might not actually know how far you already would be into the next major. So here's one of my favorite stories from college. One of our best friends was a computer engineering major. And his parents basically had told him go into computer engineering, but he wasn't really doing very well in it. Uh, he had actually had to take a semester off at one point, I think. Or no, no, he didn't take a semester off, but he almost yeah, had he to al- do it. He and then almost he got back had in. to. He got back in on academic probation. I think there was like something. a zero GPA one semester. Yeah, it was not good. That's pretty intense. But every single time, because Tom, I am a virus, I was the only person majoring in management information systems in my dorm when I started as a freshman. And I eventually converted eight computer engineers over to that major Nice. (laughs) And one potential linguistics major being you. Well, I switched before I ever stepped foot in a class. That's true. All right. Maybe, maybe I wasn't the virus for you or maybe I was just in a much more subtle way. Yeah. I don't know. It was very subtle. Well, I'm the college info geek virus for you because now you're a podcaster. Whoops. Yep. And now you make videos even though you don't like videos. Yep. I don't like videos. (laughs) What are you going to do? So this friend was like the last holdout. He wanted to be a computer engineer. His parents were saying, be a computer engineer. And I was throwing all the statistics at him. Look, MIS grads have great job placement statistics. They make really good money. And I think you would do much better in these classes. And eventually, it came to a head where I had to ask him, okay, dude, do you want to be a computer engineer because you really like to fiddle around with computer hardware or you really like to program or you're just really fascinated with the underlying you know, circuit board logic and all this stuff that's involved with computers. Or do you want to be a computer engineer because you watch the matrix and you watch tank hack tons of different things with 18 different monitors and you want to be a cool hacker? Yeah. So there's there's like like some false imagery at play. I I think it's the second one. I just think it would be really cool to be a cool hacker. And I said, cool, that is not a reason to pay for a college degree. Yeah, where you really don't have an interest in the doing work. well because that's not a good reason to pay for <laughs> failing a college degree either. Exactly. So you can be a cool hacker in your off time, which you're not because most people are not cool hackers because they don't have to fight sentient machines. They just come home and they watch Bazinga or whatever. But that's not a show. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to correct that mistake. Whatever. <laughs> so we ran a degree audit. And if you don't know what this is, I hope you know what this is because I think most colleges have this. A degree audit basically takes the program that you want to be in. Maybe you're declared with your major already, or maybe you're just intending to do it and it will list out all the requirements. And then usually they have computer software that will tell you, all right, you have met these requirements, whether it be required classes or whether it just be numbers of credits you need to get in little individual areas like social studies or sciences or humanities. And it will tell you what you have remaining to do, how many credits, which areas you still need to fill requirements in, So I ran a degree audit for his computer engineering major, got that. And then I ran what's called a what if degree audit, where you basically run it for a program you're not in for MIS. And lo and behold, he was currently further 
into MIS than he was into computer engineering. So by switching, he already put himself ahead automatically. Yeah, see, he didn't. That's a pretty good decision. He saved money by switching because he could graduate faster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just whatever weird combination of classes and electives he had taken already at the time, he was further into a major that he had not declared. So that was the final nail in the coffin. He finally was convinced to switch because there was monetarily no reason not to. Yeah. And then he graduated and everything went well. Yeah, and he's doing fine. Zero GPA to doing fine. Yeah, so... Hopefully, this is a really tough question. There's lots of different directions we could go with it, but hopefully, you ha- kind of look at you can know uh, you can look at the factors that you have to consider. You know, expense, your interest in the field that you want to switch in, um, how much how much hands-on experience do you have in the field that you might want to switch away from? Is it because you don't like the classes, or did you do an internship and really not like it? So that was my experience. I didn't like my work and my internship. I was maintaining computer networks all day wasn't really my thing but and I, I i have to be honest here i did consider switching my major to something else but i wasn't sure what i switched to at, at one point i remember i was sitting in a programming class and i was looking at the construction engineering degree requirements page for iowa state and thinking to myself well well that could be cool maybe i could help build buildings but i had no experience and it. it was just it was kind of a grass is greener sort of thing yeah but what i eventually realized was I've been doing all this work with College Info Geek. I've been building my skills as a writer, been building my skills as a speaker. I've learned a lot of coding stuff. I could be potentially a professional blogger at some point if I work really hard, but that's not going to require a major switch. There's no major that's really going to get me significantly closer to that goal. So what I decided to do was finish out my major with no intention of using it after graduation. And at the same time, I continued to build my blog. And I purposely tried to cut down on how many classes I was taking. And I even took some easier classes because I wanted more time for my per, my personal project. So that well, was my decision. Well, see, that's that's an important thing to take into consideration is what are you planning on doing out of college? Because if you switch into something that has maybe fewer job prospects or that's not going to pay you as well to cover any sort of debt you're incurring, that's also going to have to be part of your decision making. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to move on to the fourth question. I've been, I've been skipping a couple of these. Oh, wait, there's more ridiculous celebrity baby names of all time. Just click next below. That's, that's like the worst grammar ever. Yeah. What is this? All right. Well, this all right. Here we go. Here we go. Quality. So rapper okay. Chief Keef, who also goes by Keith Cozart, named his newborn son Snowfilmon.com Cozart. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> But it's awesome. So this 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 question's from Snow. And Snow wants to know, what are the most valuable general life skills to learn? Cracking open this can of worms. Yeah. Just to, just to throw some out there, I'm going to say being able to speak to people in a public setting. Not necessarily presenting, even though that could be one too, but mm. being able to talk. So like social can, skills. Yeah, like networking, social skills in general is very important. The ability to present yourself... And not just be super awkward and unable to connect with other humans. Is there any way we can break that down? Well, I guess I actually had to talk about what purpose that that is for. Then we could talk about professional Mm. networking or happiness, friend and family networking. So I've got three ideas here because I I had social skills on my list, too. So the idea that I didn't write down. So I want to say it before I forget it is listening skills. And I think this may be one of the most important life skills that anyone can learn that I didn't write down here. Most of us tend to listen superficially and a lot of us are kind of formulating responses in our head and not truly listening to what someone is telling us. We just kind of want to get our clever little response out and, you know, once they finish talking. And I think if you can learn to truly listen and truly take an interest in what people are saying, put yourself in their shoes, you're going to make a better connection with them and in general, good things are going to happen. So that's point number one. Number two, these are kind of smaller ones. How to walk up to someone and strike up a conversation, which is very easy. You either just walk up and say hi, or or you find some sort of commonality between the two of you. Good example of this was I was at VidCon recently, and I was waiting for a mentorship appointment that I had with Destin from Smarter Every Day. 
Now this was, it was super cool. I got to talk with the guy who runs Smarter Every Day on YouTube, like four and a half million subscribers. That was so cool. But there was about 15 minutes where I had to wait just out in the hallway while he finished up with someone else. And there's a VidCon volunteer standing there. She's basically just manning the door, checking people in. And for about the first five minutes, I had been told to just to wait. So I kind of stared off into space, played 2048 on my phone, and she's just standing there doing nothing because she's a volunteer. And all of a sudden it dawns on me. I've got about 10 minutes left before this appointment starts. She's bored. Why not go talk to her? So I just come up and I was like, hey, so is it as boring just staring at the wall? Is it as boring for you as it is for me? And she's like, oh, it's okay. And then I just asked, oh, so what, you know, what brought you to VidCon? Why are you volunteering? And she says, oh, well, I work at Disneyland, you know, and we're in Anaheim. So I figured it's really close. I'll just do it. And we start talking and I, I realized that or I got to learn that she's a she's a candy maker at Disneyland. That's cool. So we had this cool conversation about how she makes candy out in public at Disneyland with all these people watching. And I got to learn about all that kind of stuff. And that just came through me being able to walk up and find a reason to start a conversation. Yeah. Know? Not only are little connections like that going to make your life a little more happy and fulfilling, but mm -hmm. you never know what kind of other benefits you'll get from those kind of things down the line. Yeah. Like I have definitely things happen on accident all the time. Oh yeah. Uh, there have been many different people that I've met at conferences who I had no intention to talk to or didn't even know of their existence before I'd gone to the conference, uh, get to talking and then cool stuff happens. You know, the latest episode of Cortex was like that, where Gray was talking about how he and Mike just kind of met through friendly circumstances and now they have a podcast. Same thing happened with his other podcast host. And I mean, it is kind of similar with you and me. The difference yeah. being that even we were introduced like, through a mutual friend in a very casual setting. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. not like we ran into each other at a con somewhere. It yeah. was, But you never really know where random just friendship connections mm -hmm. are going to take you. Yeah. And my so my second bullet point there was how to make a bit of small talk. And now that I'm thinking about it, I think that really goes hand in hand with listening skills because I hate small talk just as much as the next person. And the reason for that is that small talk is usually very boring because people kind of have a preset script that they go through the weather or damn Trump or whatever. Yeah. So basically you and, both know yeah. that you're not being listened to and exactly. that you're just saying stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you ask a question about a person, hey, why are you volunteering at VidCon? Oh, you know, because I work at Disneyland. Well, that's cool. You know, and you're, if you're listening, you can realize that's a cool thing. I'm going to ask them about what they do there. And I don't even care if they know what I do. You know, if that, if that comes out organically, that's totally fine. But I'm not going into conversations expecting a specific thing usually. Yeah. You know, and nothing came of that conversation. I didn't. It was her just business a card. Cool conversation. I don't I don't remember her name even, but it was a cool conversation. And I remember it. So social skills were on my list. I have to leave in 10 minutes. So, uh oh, we I think this could be an entire podcast episode. But I'm just going to go through a couple of other things that I wrote down here. Yeah, let's just shotgun uh, them. I want to do the OK, I'm going to do the really specific ones here and then we'll talk about the big overall ones in another episode. So the specific ones I had were a decent number of meals that you can cook. So maybe like you've got five meals memorized in your mind that you know how to make. Because I've I've been at times in my life where I was like, I don't know how to cook anything except for this one stir fry meal. And that's boring. So take out every night. And now Anna and I have kind of memorized at least five or six meals. So we can usually plan a whole week's worth of meals and then go buy it all in bulk and cook every night which saves a lot of money. And now I can make a badass pasta dish, which is really tasty. So I also had how to change a tire. That's pretty useful if you drive. If you don't, maybe not, but most people in America drive. Uh, computer skills, especially how to Google. I think Googling is a very important one. You know, I didn't even consider that as being a thing, but yeah, I guess if you don't know how to search what you need, mm -hmm. that's an incredibly important skill because it unlocks everything. Yeah. I had money management and basic math. So learning basic personal finance, which if you go to listenmoneymatters.com slash show, you can listen to my other podcast, which is all about personal finance. But I put especially percentages. So number one, being able to calculate tips in your head easily. That's a pretty good skill. But more importantly, 
what should your brain think when a financial advisor says, don't worry, this this fund only has a 2% annual fee? Because most people will think that doesn't sound very big, but a smart person will think that's absolutely massive and will probably cost me $100,000 over the course of 30 years or something like that. So the ability to sit down, do the math, figure out what a percentage means, because a percentage is based on and dependent on the other variables in an equation, uh, that's going to save you a crap ton of money throughout your life and also save you from being scammed many, many times. Lastly, I had negotiation and we should probably do an entire episode on negotiation and then uh, navigation. So basically just sense of direction, knowing where you are, knowing how to get places. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds pretty good for specific ones, especially with this limited time. Mm. So yeah, most of, most of mine were going to be social skills and then like learning how to learn. I did have learning how to learn on there, but yep. that's a really, obviously that's a big one. So yeah. So my, minor spoiler for a, unspecified date podcast in the future, but we will do a what are the most essential life skills podcast? I think that would be a good one. And the last question. All right. Who is this from? This is from uh, Apple Martin. That sounds like a <laughs> Gwyneth, drink. Gwyneth, like <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow's daughter. Yeah, if you... It's the boy version of an Apple Martini. Oh, there we go. Okay. Is Apple... Oh, but it's a daughter. Well, I'm talking about a drink, so <laughs> it's fine. All right, so Apple Martin wants to know, how do you use your evenings in a productive way? Very good question. The answer I would give you now is I mainly use my evenings to relax. But in college, that was a different story. So in college, it was definitely doing homework. There was personal projects, uh, often freelance web design or college info geek, blogging, customizing the site, etc. And usually I would get out of my dorm area. I think that might've been the most essential thing for me because in the evening was when everyone was back from classes and there was a lot of Gary's mod and a lot of guitar hero and a lot of dumb YouTube videos going on in the dorms. Yeah. That's gotta be the biggest, Yeah, that's gotta be the best way to make sure your evenings are productive in college. Honestly, is mm-hmm. go somewhere where everybody else isn't having fun and relaxing because they will 100% distract you. Yeah. And, uh, We would also sometimes have big study sessions where all of us would go down into a huge common room. That was usually not a good idea because it usually just resulted in somebody bringing up the Duke Nukem soundboard. And then we all bring up the Duke Nukem soundboard and no work would get done. Yeah. But when I had specific people from my classes who I would work with, then we got a lot done. There was one girl in my statistics class and she'd come to my dorm and we would just truck through statistics assignments. And that was because, number one, we weren't super good friends. Like, we didn't hate each other. We just weren't super close friends. So we couldn't make dumb jokes together. And number two, it was just us and it was specifically for work. You know, she had her own social life to get back to, so did I. So that was very useful. I also often used my evenings to work out. Now I like to use my mornings to work out because I find that it gives me better energy during the day, but working out in the evening is an option. The one thing I'll say is if you work out really close to bed, your body temperature goes up when you work out and it actually takes quite a long time to get back down to normal. So if you work out really close to bed, you might go to bed with an elevated body temperature and that could potentially hamper your sleep. So I'm not going to say don't work out in the evening, but if you're working out in the evening and you find that you're having trouble getting to bed, that may be the culprit. And then uh, I've also got my wind down routine, which I talked about this in the video about how to go to bed on time. Basically, 45 minutes before I go to bed, that's when I start clearing to neutral. When I start cleaning up the kitchen, I will do. Well, I think it's pretty simple now. Nowadays, I just kind of get ready for bed and I go to bed. Uh, Occasionally, we'll read a little bit. But it used to have things like a little bit of meditation, things like that. Some stretching, some yoga stuff. Yeah, so a little bit of a routine. Uh huh. Yeah, if you get a little wind down routine, that can get you ready for bed, get you away from screens, help you get your room tidied back up. Oh, and the other thing I forgot to say, I actually do this not every night. I probably should do it every night, but uh, some nights I will plan my day out in advance the night before, which is really, really useful because then you're kind of sleeping on your plans your brain kind of has a little bit of time to background process it and i find that if i get up and i have already planned my day the night before 
it's almost like I'm beholden to my past self. There's a little bit less kind of wiggle room than if I'm planning it out right then and there. It's more like, this is what I planned out last night. Okay, I'm going to do these things. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I used to do that a lot. Are you? Do you not do it anymore? Well, I guess I kind of do. Most of my days are routinized for the most part. Mm. So I don't have to worry about... In college, the schedule changes so much day to day that it was way more important for me to figure out what I was doing. Yeah. Because my free time would change hours mm-hmm. Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday because of different classes and work schedules. Yeah. I guess one thing in college to add to this would be to check your bag every night. Just make sure you've got everything you need for each class. And that way, you know, if you do your planning out the night before, then it's going to be really easy to think, okay, do I have the clicker in my bag for that class? Do I have the homework assignment I need to turn in? That way you're never going to forget anything. So there's probably more you could do to make your evenings productive. But honestly, if you're front loading classes, if you're waking up early, if you're doing all these crazy productive things that we like to do, your evenings are probably going to be relaxation time unless you're the kind of person where your biological prime time is in the evening, in which case you're probably just spending the whole night hacking on something and more power to you if you do that. Because I have been, I have, I have been on that schedule in the past and it can be really productive. The entire third version of college and book geeks design was done in one night yep. without sleeping. <laughs> yep. Overnight coding is the best. Uh huh. Yeah. And I, I don't want to come out and recommend all nighters, but Hey, good, sometimes though. an all night coding session happens and it feels real good once you get your sleep back in order. Nothing like a nice <laughs> 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. finish this project a thon. Mm-hmm. So I think that is all we got for this episode, guys. Unless you've got any, I don't know, nope. weird jokes you want to throw in. We have more baby names that we will we will continue going through in the next five questions episode. Got some real ridiculous ones here. So <laughs> until then, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help the show out, if you're if you're liking what you're listening to and you want to uh, assist us in a small way, you can go over to iTunes and review the show. That helps bump us up the rankings. It helps show us to more people and basically helps spread the word about the show. It takes about five minutes to do. So if you want to help the show out, that's definitely one way you can do it. You can also find my favorite resources for improving your life in college over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. And if you want to ask questions for the next five questions episode, go over to collegeofgeek.com slash community. And uh, you can follow Martin on Twitter at mpvbamey as well. Sometimes I forget to say that, but people got to follow you too, man. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. If they want to see you tweet about like Pokemon you can. or whatever. I'll, I'll tweet occasionally. Occasionally, yeah, less than me. I tweet about more dumb things and more frequently. So, all right, someone's calling me and I got to head out to help my mom with something. So I will see you guys in the next episode. Until then, stay cute.